from verse 12 to 19. How many of you knew today was Palm Sunday? How many of you didn't know? Be honest, some of you didn't know. So I talked to a couple and, and I was telling them, oh, it's Palm Sunday. They go, Palm Sunday? We have Palm Sunday? We forget. But I just thought it was a good little touch for all of us to have a palm here this morning because I want to be able to use this. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Y'all got it? And this is uh, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And it reads like this. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem, look. Your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. Let me just throw this in because it's really, it's just something I know, but it's not in my notes. Um, the reason that he came in on a donkey is because uh, when a king came into a city, he always came in on a horse. And a horse uh, typified that he was coming with victory and he was coming, you know, with uh, all of the, the uh, that he had conquered the enemy. But when a person came in on a donkey, that meant he wasn't coming with force. He was coming with peace. And that's why he came in on a donkey, because he was coming in peace. He was bringing peace to him, to the people there. Um, his disciples, this is really important. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there's nothing we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat this morning. So much is in this uh, portion of scripture. There's a, a little story that I was reading made kind of made me laugh. It was a little boy who was sick on Palm Sunday, and there's quite a few people that are sick today. And so this little boy stayed home from church with his mother, but his father went to church, and when he came back, he came back with a palm. And the little boy was curious, and he said, why do you have that palm branch, Dad? And the father went on to explain, you see, when Jesus came into town, everyone waved palm branches to honor him. So we got palm branches today. And the little boy said, man, the one Sunday I miss and Jesus shows up. <laughs> in his mind, he saw him coming in where everybody had palm branches. Everywhere today, people are gathering in churches and they're reenacting the event of waving their palms and singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Have you ever thought of how many people were exactly there waving their palms and singing those praises 
Well, Jesus got on the donkey somewhere around Bethany. And that's where the people began to line up. And they began to throw palm branches right before him. And they began to lay down their cloaks. And that was a place of honor. But you got to understand what they were doing. They were doing that because he had just raised Lazarus from the dead. And they're like, ooh, this guy is holy. This guy is powerful. This guy is spectacular. And he really is a king. He really does miracles. And that's why they were doing it. Not because they really believed, but because they were into the miracles. They were into signs and wonders. And so they laid down these palm branches and they laid down their cloaks at the beginning of Bethany. And people began to line up. It was like a parade. It was like those New York ticker tape parades. You ever seen them? Where thousands and thousands of people are lined up. Well, it may not sound like a, a lot of people, but you have to understand that Bethany, where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, where he was coming from, where the people met him, was two miles away from Jerusalem. People were lining up in Bethany all the way to Jerusalem. That's a two-mile walk. He was riding on a donkey with palm branches and robes laid before it. That's a lot of people. When I read about this particular Passover time, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, said that during Passover time, there was approximately 3 million people in this city. So you can imagine how many people were lined up watching Jesus go by. For two miles, people were lined up. And they were saying, this is the king of peace. This is the prince of peace. And that's a whole lot of palms that are being laid out. There were no hotels, there were no motels to accommodate all of these people. So all of these people were sleeping everywhere. They were sleeping on the hillsides. They were sleeping on the streets. They were borrowing houses. You can't even imagine how many people were in this city. Now, one of the things that we could imagine is what it's like to see the Olympics. They'd been in Seoul, Korea. They'd been in Los Angeles. They were even up here. And the amount of people, if you could remember what it was like, was like, it was, there were so many people. If you went down to the city, we were bumping into people everywhere you went. There was just so many people. Well, that's the kind of crowd that was there in Jerusalem. And with that kind of crowd, there's a certain amount of excitement. There's a certain amount of atmosphere that comes with these kind of people. It's almost like a mob. Imagine what it would be like to be in the city during this time of Passover. So this morning, what I want to talk to you about are the people. The people that were there during this time. The faithful people. The ones who were there who stuck it out all the way. All the way to the cross. All the way through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, when everything was happening and they didn't understand, but they stuck it out. The faithful people. But then there was also another group of people. And those were the fickle people, the ones who didn't stick it out, the ones who were there waving their palms, yeah, you are the king, you are the savior, Hosanna. And now where were they on Friday? They weren't there. The faithful and the fickle. Fickle people are those who change. 
in their attraction and in their affection. They love you or they hate you, depending on whether you do good stuff for them. You ever had teenagers? Sometimes teenagers can be very fickle. You can tell how they are when they ask you for something. Mom, can I go to the mall? No. You're shut down. They don't want to talk to you. And you're like, hello? And you're like, because you didn't do what they wanted you to do. They ask you for some money. Can I have $20? No, all I have is a five. Shut you down. Because fickle people are dependent upon the performance of someone else. If you perform good, then they like you. If they don't, if you meet their expectations, I mean, that always happens even in a marriage. Spouses expect some things from their spouses, but they expect their spouses to read their mind. They expect them to know what they want. They expect them to know what they need. Like yesterday, I don't know if my daughter's in here. I think she's in children's church. You know, I expected her. She went, uh, I've been, I was studying all day, and she went out to go get something to eat from La Piñata. So I expected her to buy me something. <laughs> because when I go, I buy her something. So when she came back, and she only came back with her food, I'm like, well, hello, I'm here. And she's going, oh. And I was like, fine, fine. <laughs> Shut down. Because she didn't meet my expectations. And she's like, okay, you want me to go for you? And I'm like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so I sent her back. And, um, but that happens to us when we, we're very fickle people. And the crowd that welcomed Jesus as he entered into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, they were a fickle crowd. Because five days later, this crowd that was waving branches, this crowd that was yelling, Hosanna, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, this crowd turned on Jesus. The whole atmosphere changed to hatred as the same people who were yelling, King of Kings, were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. How quickly we change in our emotions and in our attitudes when people don't meet our expectations. The people who lined the sides of the street had come to Jerusalem for a lot of different reasons. But Jesus only came for one reason. And that one reason was to lay down his life for us. Why is it important to Jesus that these men arrest him during the Passover? Not only because there were a lot of people, like three million people in town during that time, but it was because of God's plan for Jesus to die at the same time that all the other sacrificial lambs were being offered. That's what they did during Passover. They offered a lamb. They sacrificed a lamb. Every family sacrificed a lamb. And Jesus needed to come and die during this time because he is the ultimate sacrificial lamb. He came during Passover time. Lambs, to understand the significance of it is to understand what happened in the Old Testament. During the time of Moses, the Pharaoh would not release the Israelites 
out of captivity. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. And so the Lord gave them plague after plague after plague. And the last plague, the tenth plague, was the murdering or the killing of the firstborn. Everything that was firstborn, all the way from their animals to their children, was going to die. The angel of death was going to come, and he was going to kill them all. And the only thing that was going to be able to keep the Israelites from experiencing this same pain, this same death in their family, is if they would slaughter a lamb, get the blood, and put it over the posts, over the door of their homes. And if they put that blood over the posts of their home, the angel of death would come, see that blood, and pass over them. And that's where the term Passover came, because the angel of death passed over their house. And so here they are thousands of years later, and the Passover was a yearly celebration to remind the Jews of their freedom from slavery in Egypt. Just like we have a reminder every 4th of July that we were liberated. We have every uh, 16th of September that Mexico was liberated. We remind ourselves Memorial Day of all of those who gave their lives on the battlefront for us. And we have Memorial Days. Well, this was the Jewish Memorial Day to remind them that they were passed over, that their firstborn was not killed. So in this particular time, the blood of the lamb was recognized. And that's why Jesus needed to come during Passover time and be killed during that time to remind them that he was the ultimate sacrifice, that he died in our place to free us from slavery, to free us from sin, to free us from death. That's what he did during Passover time. And it was very likely while Jesus was dying on the cross that lambs were continued to be slaughtered because it was Passover time. He was the Lamb of God taking on the sins of the world during Passover time. And he wanted it to be at that time because he wanted to make sure that everybody understood that he voluntarily died. See, because if you would read the Gospels, every time they tried to get a hold of him, the Bible says that he just walked through the crowd. He just disappeared. Nobody could find him. When they wanted to get a hold of him, he wasn't around. But this particular time, he allowed them to take hold of him. He allowed them to crucify him. He allowed himself to be sacrificed. And so all of that, he voluntarily gave up his life so that we could have life. He could have laid low. He could have said, you know what? It's not my time. But the Bible says that he said, the hour has come. It is now my time. Three and a half years later, it is now my time. I need to go to Jerusalem. They didn't have power over him. They didn't have control over him. They couldn't take him until he allowed himself to be taken. He knew what was before him. He knew that there was betrayal. He knew humiliation. He knew suffering. He knew ultimately death. And he deliberately chose to go to Jerusalem at this time because he was not a victim. He willingly gave his life. He was a sacrifice for all of us. In verse 16, it says, at first, his disciples did not understand all of this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him 
and that they had been done to him. Imagine being part of the disciples and you just do not understand. All the time that you're walking with Jesus, he's telling you, I'm going to build a kingdom. And now here he is walking in or, or riding in to Jerusalem and they're all hailing him as king. And they're like, finally, he's going to build his kingdom. Finally, he's going to take his place. Finally, he's going to become king of kings. Finally, finally. And they're thinking, okay, now we're going to go into our kingdom. Now it's all going to happen. And then they watch him being taken and being crucified. What a disillusionment. The disciples had no idea what was happening. They were confused. They thought he was going to take his kingdom. They thought he was going to be a part of a revolution. And instead, he was into revolutionizing lives, not physical kingdoms. On the day that Jesus walked toward Jerusalem, the disciples were not aware what he was doing. They missed the whole significance of the day. Only later on did they realize this is what happened. Do you, do you ever look back and say, oh, that's what happened. Now I see it. After the whole day passed, after the event passed, you missed it. It just kind of went, flew right past you. And you look back and you say, no wonder they said that. No wonder that happened. No wonder I missed it. No, you know, there's so many times where I used to get upset when things would happen and I was in a hurry. You ever been like that where the phone would ring or, or you know, there's been times where I'm trying to hurry up and I'm drinking my tea real fast and trying to get out of the house and I spill it on myself and I have to change and or some of you who have babies, right when you're going to get ready to walk out the door, the baby goes to the bathroom everywhere. And you all have those times, or am I the only one? And you get upset. You get upset at your baby. You get upset at the, at the kid who went out there and was just going to go out to the car, and they tripped and they fell in the mud, and you got to change them, and you get all upset over those things. But I realized something. So many times... God allows those things to happen to detain me because of protecting me. Protecting me from whatever is going to go on the road that I don't have to experience. Protecting me from an accident. Protecting me from something that I am not aware of. And then as I'm driving, I see an accident on the side of the road. <sighs> now I see it. I was all upset for what? Because I did not see what God was doing in my life. I did not see how many times my husband would say, no, we're not going to do this. And I'd get mad. What do you mean we're not going to do this? Later on, I would say, oh, he is wise. Oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I didn't see it then. I had to wait and see it later on. Those of us who were children and our parents would say, no, you can't do this. No, you can't. We would think, they're so dumb. But as we grow up, we realize, you know what? They're not that dumb. I guess they do know what they're talking about. I just got that compliment the other day from my daughter. She said, you know, she was asking me about she wants to make a, a major purchase. And, and I was like, you know, I don't think so. I, I don't think this is the right time. And she's, like, but, and she's fighting with me. No, but this is the right time, and I should do this. And I was like, okay, that's my advice. And she's like, all right, I know you, you're wise. I know, I know. It's just I want to do what I want to do. 
they realize it after. So those of you who still have children at home, be patient. One day they'll realize you do know a little bit. Okay, just, you just got to wait a little bit. And there's things that you may be going through in your life right now that you don't understand. You really don't know what's happening like the disciples didn't know what was happening. That doesn't mean that God is not at work in your life. Just because everything is crashing around you, just because everything is not folk, uh, doing what you want it to do, it doesn't mean that God has taken his hand off of your life because he has promised that he is going to work everything out for good. That's his promise to you, and you've got to understand, you've got to stand on that promise that no matter what you experience, no matter what havoc is wreaking in your life, that God is going to be able to work it all out for good. Because our promise is that God knows what he's doing. He really does. I don't always understand why God does what he does. I wish I could tell you I have never questioned God, but I have. I really have. I've questioned him like, God, do you really know what you're doing here? Do you really know what it's going to be like in my life now? Do you really understand? I've questioned him. Why, God? Why did this? Why did that happen? I'm just like the disciples. I'm in the midst of all of this happening. I'm still saying, do you know what you're doing, God? You may not understand him. Just like many times I may not have understood him. But there's only one requirement that he asks of us. Trust him. Just trust him. Trust that he knows what he's doing. Trust that everything that is taking place in your life has a purpose and it has a reason. He doesn't require you to understand. There's nothing in the Bible that says you need to understand before you follow him. What he says is, trust me. Let me do what I'm supposed to do and you just follow. So what happened between Palm Sunday and Friday, because we all know what happened in between the Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and we all know Friday is Good Friday. And I want to remind you, we are having prayer here from 7 to 9 on Good Friday, so come on out. Um, but on Friday, they were yelling, crucify him. And on Sunday, they're hailing him with the palms and yay! What happened? What changed? What kind of people were represented in the crowd that were fickle? Well, I picked out a couple of people here. The first type of people, they're called the flea market people. And the flea market people, we understand, were there during the Passover because there were three million people that were represented. And the flea market people are the ones who, who are vendors. You know, anytime there's going to be a lot of people, all these flea market people show up. You go to any A's game, you go to any Giants game, all these people who make up their own t-shirts and make up their own hats, they're out there. People who are just, you know, wanting to sell their own stuff, they're out there. Go to a flea market, they make their own stuff. That's what was happening here in the, in the Passover time. The vendors were all there. And they were all selling their stuff. They had food. They had lamb, they had shish kebabs, they had falafels, they had shawarmas. You may not know what they are, but they're good. I love shawarmas. I, I don't know where you can get them over here, but I know you get them in Europe a lot. 
But whatever they needed for Passover, I, you know, I don't know if they were making t-shirts back then, but, uh, you know, the 100th annual Passover, I was there, you know. <laughs> whatever it was, the vendors had it, they were selling it. And these flea market people were there because they had an opportunity to make money. That's why they were there. They didn't really have a lot of interest in Jesus. All they knew was that, hey, Jesus is coming. People are following him. I get to sell my stuff. More money for me. Whoever, whoever uh, wants to come with him, I think that's great. I don't think these people were really fickle. They weren't really followers of Jesus. They really didn't care about him. All they wanted was more people to buy their stuff. But these flea market people would probably be described as indifferent. Now the trouble or problem with indifference is that indifference doesn't care one way or the other. Indifference lacks passion. Indifference is being disinterested or apathetic. To be indifferent towards Jesus Christ is to be without any desire to respond with either acceptance or rejection. You're just indifferent. It's like, have you ever gotten into your car after church and, you, and you're with your spouse or your kids and you say, okay, what are we going to eat? And everybody goes, I don't care. And you're like, okay, well, then let's go Chinese. No, I don't want Chinese. Okay, well, then let's go Mexican. I don't want Mexican. Okay, you want Italian, you want Greek, you want Tex-Mex, you want pancakes. What do you want? I don't know. Anybody ever been there? And, and you're the driver, and you need to decide because it, it makes it, it's important. Do you go left or do you go right? You got to decide where you're going to go. And so everybody said, well, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. Okay, then we're going to go, no, I don't want Mexican. No, I don't want, no. And you're making all of these, all of a sudden, people who were indifferent now are making up their mind. Because you don't want Chinese. You don't want Mexican. You don't want Greek. You don't want Thai. Maybe you do. Maybe you just say, forget it. Now, I know that when my children were little and I would ask them those questions, and if they couldn't make up their mind, I would just say, forget it, we're going home. <laughs> Tuna for everybody. <laughs> because if you don't pick, you're going home. There better be some kind of agreement because otherwise we're going home. Your indifference comes to an end. When a person is indifferent, toward food, the worst thing that could happen is that you wind up eating something that you really didn't want to eat. But when you're indifferent towards Jesus Christ, you miss out on the hope of heaven. And you might wind up in a place of eternity that you really didn't want to be. Indifference is coming to church and never making a decision to serve him. It's hearing the gospel week after week, service after service, and not ever really committing your life. You don't accept him, but you don't reject him. You're just there. Today is your day. You're going to have to make a decision. Do you or don't you want him? 
because you can't sit on the fence. You just can't. Jesus is not into indifference. In his message to the church at Laodicea, he said, I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, I have to spit you out of my mouth. He's not into lukewarmness. And I'll, I'll tell you the truth, neither, neither is this church. The church doors will always be open to you. But it's going to be very difficult for you to sit and be indifferent to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you're going to have to make a decision one way or the other. My challenge to you is don't be indifferent. Don't be a flea market person this morning. Be a committed, a faithful one. Secondly, not only do you have the flea market people, you have the carnival or the Mardi Gras people. Now, just saying Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras in New Orleans, carnival is in Brazil. Just the names make you think of party. It's party time. Somebody ever said, if we're going to go to Mardi Gras, you know exactly what they're going to be doing. They're going to dress up. Who knows how they're going to dress up? Who knows what they're going to wear, if they're going to wear anything? Party time means you're going to drink too much. You're going to party too much. You're going to take too much drugs. You're going to wind up with somebody you don't even have the faintest idea who you're with because you only have one thing on your mind, party. Some of you used to have that idea. Friday night, party. Where is it at? I don't know, but I'll find one. Because you're just going to party. That's what you do. That's your whole mindset. And I'm sure that there were Mardi Gras carnival people there during Passover time. They didn't care it was Passover. They just knew there was going to be 3 million people. And in 3 million people, I'll find somebody who likes to party. I'll find somebody who wants to, you know, have a good time with me. Because who knows who you're going to meet there. Birds of a feather, they flock. They find each other. I don't know how, but they do. They didn't know that this was going to be the time that Jesus was going to be making his entry into the city. They were only there because Jerusalem was where the action was. Three million people, that's where I want to be. And if Jesus is going to be part of the action and there's going to bring more people, that's okay. I'm happy. Party time. There are people who are Mardi Gras Carnival people who are only happy as long as Jesus is meeting your needs. As long as he's turning water into wine. As long as he's feeding you when you're hungry. As long as you're receiving blessings. Then you're happy. Oh, man, Jesus is Lord. Hey, Hosanna. Woo! Yes. <laughs> you're excited. You're there at the road. You're putting down your coat. But what happens when you can't meet your rent? What happens when you're struggling at your job and they're ready to lay you off? What happens when everything, your car starts breaking down, your kids start rebelling, you and your spouse are going through it? What happens? Where is the palm? Where is it at? The trouble with Mardi Gras and Carnival people, it's not indifference. They know what they want. They're passionate about it. They want a good time. They want the blessings. When people think that serving God is all about jumping around and entertainment at one big party, 
Then they're let down when they find out that Jesus says, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must put aside your selfish ambition, take up your cross, and follow me. Big difference from the part A to take up your cross and follow me. It's like those who have graduated from the home or the UTC. There's a big difference when you graduate from the home and you come into the church. There's a transition that needs to be made. You need to be able to see the difference. The church doesn't follow the same structure. We're not going to wake you up in the morning, call you up and say, well, I woke up this morning with my mom. We're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. Your home director does that. But nobody's going to be waking you up at 5.30 in the morning singing that song to you. You're going to have to wake yourself up. That's hard. That's tough. When you've been in jail, they tell you when to eat, when to sleep, when to work, when to do uh, your calisthenics. They tell you everything. Then we have the home structure. They tell you when to eat, when to get up, when to pray, when to go to sleep. They tell you all that. Then you come into the church, and nobody's telling you that. And you're like, man, I'm free. Party. I'm free. It's not carnival time. It's not Mardi Gras time. It's time to pick up your cross and follow him. That's what it's time for. Because following Christ is about commitment. And it goes beyond just coming to church for the plays. It goes beyond coming to church for the concerts. It goes beyond the retreats. It goes beyond the picnics. It goes beyond checking out what guy or what girl is here. It goes beyond all of that. It's more than just coming to church on Easter and Christmas and Congregation Day. Man, I find out more people are part of our church on Congregation Day than any other time. I was like, whoa. Never saw them before. Praise God. Then I don't get to see them again until next year, Congregation Day. Serving God is, is a commitment that shows up day to day, week to week, when you're going through all the stuff of your life, not just all the fun things. Because what are you going to do when the party's over? What are you going to do? The third type of people... I've named them the Houdini people. Houdini, and some of you may not, you have no idea who Houdini is. Houdini, he, Harry Houdini was a real person, uh, his, and he was a tremendous magician. Um, they have a, a, a movie on him. It's an old movie, black and white, um, but it's a great movie. And this, this man did more to further uh, magic than anybody else. He was the first one to get out of a straight coat, you know, the ones from the mental wards that they put you in. He got out of that in record time. He was put upside down in a water. I mean, he did a lot of things and he was able to get out. But there were people who followed him because of all the, um, it looked like miracles, but magic that he did. And they were awed. They were like, wow, look at all the stuff that he does. They were into the signs. They were into the wonders. They were into the, whoa. That's the Houdini type of people. These are the people who were lined up with the, with the palms because they had just heard 
that Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. Somebody who could raise somebody from the dead, man, they could do something for me. They can kick down some money to me. They can fill up stuff for me in my house. They can take care of me. If he can raise the dead, he can do that for me. Those are the Houdini type of people. They want Jesus to do something for them. That's why they're there, part of the crowd. Thousands of people were in Jerusalem with those kind of expectations. When we read the scripture from, uh, in chapter 12 before, we see that when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, there was a lot of people there, and they took off to Jerusalem saying, he's coming. The guy that raised Lazarus, he's coming. And that's where all the people were there. Hey, you know what? I'm expecting you to do something for me. I'm going to praise you. What can you do for me? They wanted to see Jesus, but they all were saying, what do you think about him? What do you think he can do for us? We also read of those people who are into figuring out what do they really want from him? Do they really want him to be king? Do they really want him to be Lord? Or do they want to just be a part of the fickle crowd and wave? The problem or the trouble with Houdini people is that they're so fickle. These are the people that Jesus said in Matthew 12, 38 to 40. He says, you demand a sign, but it is an evil and unfaithful generation that asks for a sign. See, some of you are sports fans. How many are sports fans? Wow, all right. Some of you are Raider fans, 49er fans, Giant fans, A's fans, Dodger fans. <laughs> okay, to be honest with you, none of us have had a great season for a while. <laughs> We're all in the same boat here, okay? But some of us are really diehard fans. I mean, we, we wear the t-shirt, we wear the hat, we have the decals in our, on our cars. We do all of that. No matter what kind of a season our team is having, the diehards are like, yeah, you know what, they're going to do it. I don't care if, you know, the 49ers are like 11 and 1. Somehow we're, we're still there. You know, Raiders are what, 12 and 0? That's all right, you know. The Giants and the A's and the Dodgers, they... They didn't make it, but hey, next year's another year. There's always that next year. Next, you know, we're, we have the hope. We believe. Every game we believe till the season is absolutely over. Till it's like no more. Absolutely, positively, we believe that our team is going to make it. They're going to make it to the Super Bowl. They're going to make it to the World Series. They're going to make it. And we keep believing at all odds. I don't care what the statistics say. We believe our team is great. Our team is better. Man, our team could have beat the Patriots. Our team could have beat, you know, uh, all of those teams. They just had an off day. That's, a, that's how we feel. But that's exactly how we need to be with God's word, believing against all odds. I don't care if it looks like 12 and 0. God's word is going to come through. I don't care what the circumstances look like. I don't care what the obstacles look like. I don't care what the situation looks like. Against all odds, he's going to come through. It's going to happen. We're going to win. We're going to go. We're going to supersede. We're going to have victory. We're going to get through this. Because Jesus said to Thomas, the disciple who would not believe that Christ was risen until he saw the nail prints in his hand, he said, you believe because you've seen me. 
But blessed are those who haven't seen me and yet believe. See, we see people lined up praising Jesus on Sunday, but yelling crucify him on Friday. What happened? What happened to them happens to us. Because, see, we're all here on a Sunday morning, and we're all singing and praising. And that's our faith. We're raising our palms. Maybe not, we don't have palms every Sunday, but we're raising our voices in singing and praising him. But sometimes our Sunday faith doesn't match up with our Friday lifestyle. Our Friday lifestyle is totally different. We do things on Friday and Saturday that we have to come on Sunday and we have to pick up our palms and say, okay, I'm back. Here I am, praising you. I'm praising you. Sometimes we don't have to get to Friday. Sometimes Sunday afternoon is enough where we lay down our palms and our faith doesn't match up with our Sunday morning praise. See, because we talk a great talk on Sunday morning, but we fail to follow through with the rest of our lives during the week. We all know what we're talking about. It's the child who tells the mom, okay, mom, I'll do it, and then he forgets to do it. Or it's like when you make a solemn promise to your spouse, I'm never going to do that again. And then you find yourself kind of sneaking around because you know you've already broken your promise. It's like that project or that job that you volunteered for at work or even here at church, and you say, I'll be there, I'll be there. But then you just can't get yourself motivated to be there or be on time. It's that pet sin that you repent of every week here at the altar. And then you return every Sunday as if the Lord just didn't see you this whole past week. See, it's not just like what we're on Fridays, but what are we on on Saturdays and Mondays and Tuesdays? It's the same thing that happened with the people who lined up on the streets. They all lined up praising and worshiping on Palm Sunday, but there was a disconnection between what they were doing and what they were being, what they were saying and how they were really acting. On Palm Sunday, the crowds were ecstatic. They were overjoyed at the Messiah. But why did they so soon afterwards call for his execution? Because they were fickle. Because Jesus wasn't the savior that they were expecting. He didn't meet up to their expectations. Palm Sunday was the most misunderstood moment of Christ's life. The crowd wanted somebody to lead a revolt against the Roman domination. That's what they wanted. They wanted a revolutionary, not a spiritual leader. They wanted somebody who was going to just destroy the whole Roman kingdom. They didn't want somebody who was submissive. They wanted somebody who was going to say, come on, let's go. Let's march. Let's take over this government. They didn't want somebody who was going to go to the garden and pray and tell them, come pray with me. They wanted somebody who was going to be what they thought was strong. They wanted a General Schwarzkopf. They wanted somebody who was going to get into the war room and, and strategize. They didn't want somebody who was going to say, pick up your cross and follow me. There were men like Judas who were there. People just like him who were disappointed. They realized that he's really not going to revolt. He's really not going to take over this kingdom. 
and seeing that Jesus wasn't going to follow up and be the king, they gave up on Jesus and they turned against him. And when we think of the great betrayals in history, we think of Judas and we think of Benedict Arnold. We think of all of those people who turned on Jesus. But aren't we the same way when we don't match our lifestyles on Palm Sunday to the rest of the week? We do the exact same thing. And we can't plead ignorance like we didn't know. We can't say, well, I don't know any better because we do. We have confessed that Jesus is Lord of our life. We have confessed that he is the son of the living God. We have put our trust in him with our words. But our actions have to line up with it. We've accepted him at some point in time, even into our life. We've committed our lives to worship. We've committed our lives to serve him. We've committed ourselves to be obedient to him. But sometimes we're just like Peter, like the fickle crowd, like Judas, and not like faithful John, who was there at the cross on Good Friday. We forget about Christ's cross because something else comes up. We fail to follow through with the worship and the service and the devotion because something else looks a little bit better. So what do we do? Do we lose hope when we realize that Jesus is not meeting our expectations? He hasn't brought me a godly woman. He hasn't brought me a godly man. So I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find me somebody. He hasn't met my expectations. I've been here. I've been here three whole months. <laughs> and nothing's happened. Do we hang our heads in shame and guilt like Peter when we realize that we have daily denied him? Do we coast through the week like Mardi Gras, Carnival, or flea market people? No. The answer is no. When we find that our faith is failing us on Friday, we don't turn away from Christ in shame, but we turn to him and hold on to the cross. Because that's what it's all about. It's the cross. Because of the cross, we can repent of our failures. Because of the cross, we can find forgiveness in his blood. Because of the cross, we find out that he poured his life out on Good Friday so that we could have eternal life. We run to the cross. We don't hide. We don't isolate. We don't do any of that. We run to the cross. When we look at everything that he's done for us, how he's been so faithful to us, we got to run to the cross. Test yourself on a daily basis. Make sure that your faith is as strong on Friday and Saturday as it is on Sunday morning. Right here, your faith is real strong. But when you get out of here, how strong is your faith? That's part of Christian maturity. Examine your motives, examine your actions, and find out if your faith is a part of your daily decisions. Where is your faith on Friday? Where is your faith on Saturday? Your faith should be in him. Never wavering, staying strong in him. God is not obligated to give us a trouble-free life. He's obligated to strengthen us during the hard times. That's what he promised us that he was going to do. Can I, Louise, come to the piano? You know, when we look at baseball, 
What would it be like if there were no umpires? Can you imagine what the baseball, major league baseball would be like without umpires? We would no longer have major league baseball. We'd have WWF on the field. The whole sport would transfer from being baseball to being wrestling and fighting and kickboxing and everything else. And this is the reason why many reject God. Because we don't want rules. We don't want to answer to God for our actions. We'll accept him as king, but we don't want the rules that go with the kingdom. So maybe you're here today and you're seeing how your Sunday faith does not work with your Friday faith. Maybe your Sunday faith is strong because you're here, but by Friday, you're weakening. By Friday, it's not as strong as it is right now. Or maybe you have expectations of Jesus and he hasn't met them, so you've said, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to make my plans. Some of you have made plans and you haven't even prayed about them. You've just gone right along with them because it's what sounds good. It's what looks good. And there's some of you today that you haven't actually made that decision. You're still indifferent. Oh, you're not rejecting him, but you're really not accepting him either. You're indifferent. And my challenge to you today is to get on one side or the other. Don't be lukewarm. Because lukewarmness is an abomination to the mouth of God. Stand with me this morning. And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, we need to become the kind of followers that he wants, to be conformed to his image, to follow him the way he wants. And when you raise your palm this morning, that you'd be able to raise your palm in that same attitude on Friday and Saturday and Sunday afternoon and Sunday night. As the worship team begins to sing, I'm going to open up the altars for you. That if you want to come and change that attitude of indifference, you want to come and learn how to depend on Him or have your faith that is on Sunday morning be like your Sunday night, be like your Friday night. You want to be able to trust Him with every part of your life. And the altars are open. Oh, how many times have I Draw near. 